You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 368. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we're going to discuss the series premiere of NBC Peacock's adaptation of the classic Aldous Huxley novel, Brave New World. And, you know, before we get into that, uh, you know, this is our post-dark period, because that's it. We always had it to look forward to uh, yeah. in the future, but... Um, so what'd you think about dark? Well, not, not about dark. Oh, about just about being, being no, have no dark in our future. Yeah. You know, that, that's a good question. I, I guess I really haven't processed it all the way just yet. You know, I was, you know, happy with, uh, how it ended. Uh, and especially the more, you know, I, I believe I compare it to, my experience with Avengers Endgame, where you know I didn't like it at first, and this the more I thought about it, the more I appreciated uh, that last episode. So, and the, the more I, again, the more I think about it and reflect on that last episode, the more I'm like, you know what, that was a really great ending to that show. So, yeah, I thought so as well. And it, the funny thing for me is that once it was done, I thought I would be super motivated to go online and watch youtube explanations and read articles none of which i've done and like you i'm really pleased with the ending and you know never say never i mean who knows maybe down the road we'll do one of our dark revisited the way we did with season one and go back and look for clues that we missed because how couldn't you know? How do we know what was going to transpire in season three? So, yeah, I mean, it's. I think my my reasoning for not going on might have something to do with you know how quickly we did everything. You know, it just seemed like doing the two episodes a week, while it was fun, it, it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. So. That's true. Well, especially with a show as as deep as dark, you know, that was there's a lot to it. But yeah, luckily it came out over the summer, so at least yeah. I had the extra time for it and everything. But yeah, I've actually been been kind of reading some stuff about dark and everything just to kind of see some of the other theories that are out there. And it's uh, you know, I was I don't know if you'd be up for it, but maybe at some point, maybe we could just kind of do a quick look. At some of the prevailing uh, theories out there, the dark. Uh, I don't know. I would absolutely be up for it. So we'll yeah. we'll talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, it was a great show. I wasn't disappointed at the finale. It's just uh, you know, again, maybe like you said, you haven't had time to really process it, and maybe that was just my subconscious processing it that way. But a show that has returned that I thought I would be excited for is the Umbrella Academy uh-huh. because I really enjoyed season one. Sure. But I just lack motivation to look at season two. I, I don't know really how to explain that. I, I, I'm experienced because again, you would think I would have watched all of season two by this point. And actually I'm probably going to go back and redo season one first, which I guess, but right now I'm just like, yeah, I just don't feel quite up for it. And I like the Umbrella Academy a lot, you know, but uh, so maybe there's a little, you know, we're not breaking up with Dark, but that kind of like almost post-breakup type thing where you're just not ready to date again quite yet. Before we get too far, I want to thank our patrons 
uh, Rami, Karen from Colorado, Fred, of course, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, Dan, and Mike. And I do want to announce that we've changed up our Patreon tiers and the goodies that we offer. So it's basically going to go like this. If you are a sci-fi TV rewatch supporter, you're going to automatically be entered in all future sci-fi TV rewatch giveaways. And we'll, we'll have more information about that coming up. But, you know, I come across different things that I think would be great to, you know, put out as giveaways. So, you know, how we handle that, not sure yet, but but we'll certainly give some advantage to uh, our Patreon supporters. Then at the film critic level, we'll cover any genre television episode of your choice. And then at the foundation level, we will produce and publish a podcast covering the genre film of your choice. Or if you want us to do a TV episode instead, that's fine as well. So, you know, those have all been updated on the Patreon website and, you know, hopefully you'll consider it. If you want to contact us, the email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. If you want to send us some feedback, you can do it via email or record your own audio clip and send us the MP3 as an attachment. All right. Uh, I guess we can return to the what we're watching tip of the week. You want to go first this time? Sure. Um, and I, I mean, there's so many things that I've, uh, you know, been wanting to talk about over the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to pick the most recent thing and that is Norseman season three. So have you, did, have you seen season one and two yet of Norseman? I have not. Okay. And it, it looks good. My wife was like, that's a comedy. I didn't know it was a comedy. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it I is, knew that much. It is hilarious. It is so funny. Season three, a bit, I don't know, I'm not, I don't think I'm really spoiling anything to say that it kind of, it's, you know, season one and two took place, you know, right after, one right after the other, and season three actually goes back to the time before season one. So it was disconcerting, I guess would be the word maybe, at first, to just kind of figure out what the heck was going on, because you're expecting the action here to pick up right after season two it's pretty big you know ending uh this season two and instead they're just they totally just blew away all expectations by uh doing a whole and and of course then obviously i was thinking okay well maybe they're just going to you know establish the things that led up to season one and two maybe in an episode maybe in two and then they'll get back to the action as it was taking place, but they, they never did. The whole season mm-hmm. takes place before season one took place. So, you know, to my mind, I'm like, that is actually kind of brilliant, you know? That's that's kind of amazing how they did that. And um, to just completely defy expectations is, well, you know, we ended on this kind of like cliffhanger, but we're going, to, you're going to have to put it off for another year at least because we're going to go back and, and do the past and, and, I love it. And, and there's actually even fun, one character says in in season three, he's like, "Hmm, this seems like that this this could be something that could cause problems for a lot of seasons." And then the other character says, "Seasons." 
Yeah. So it's just like inside, like, you know, postmodernist stuff like that. It is an amazing show. It's absolutely hilarious. The, uh, they, they fil- I'm sure you know this. They, they film it with the actors speaking, doing their lines in Norwegian, and then they film it again with the actors doing their lines in English. So oh, I, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Oh, yeah. No. So it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild how, how they do that. So, of course, um, you know, they, it's in English, but it's not dubbed. It's the actors are performing their own lines in, in English as well. Maybe I'll go back and check out Norwegian, see, see what that's like. So. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Warrior Nun on Netflix, and I've certainly mentioned it before, but I made my way through season one. And just absolutely loved it. it. It's the latest project from Simon Barry, who, you know, from Continuum and Van Helsing and follows a young woman who grew up in a Catholic orphanage as a paraplegic. Uh, she was in a car accident when she was, I think it was six. And I guess her parents were killed. I can't remember now. But she ends up dead under somewhat sketchy circumstances and in the pilot episode her dead body lies on a slab at the hq of the order of the cruciform sword which is a group of fighting nuns committed to fighting demons that make it to earth and i don't want to spoil anything but it's just really a a terrific combination of serious storyline and you know, you, you, I know you don't like voiceover, but this is one of those situations where they use it for the main character so that we hear what she's thinking. And she's so irreverent. It, it's just wonderful. She, she's magnetic as is. Look, you got to love a character named Shotgun Mary. <laughs> and those two characters just absolutely kill it as do all the secondary characters as well but uh warrior nun on netflix i don't think you'll be disappointed and then just one comment about marvel's agents of shield which is a show i don't know if you're caught up i know you're Um, a fan i don't know if i watched the last one okay well i'm caught up and I think if this season tells me anything, it's, this is a season they need to end the show. Yeah. <laughs> and while I love the characters, it's really running out of steam. And, you know, one of the big things on season seven is where's Fitz? Right. You know what, dude? I don't care if Fitz <laughs> ever comes back. I really don't. And without going into a long diatribe about it, I, I just don't understand how shows allow major characters to just disappear to do other projects and i don't have anybody's contract in hand but i'm continually amazed at the number of shows these days that in some cases the main character just disappears for half the season well and there's a reason and 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 i'm not going to get into um, it but there is, I, I, I guess I should, I, I'm not going to say the show, but there, there is a show. I'm, I'll never mention before. But I'm not going to that. What that where like the main character dies like in the first episode of like season two, you know, and the show went on for like another three or four seasons and everything. So yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, Fitz's absence has you know, and, and of course they still, they, but they didn't kill him off, right? He's just 
in like the future someplace. If uh, I mean that, this is this is part of it, and this is also why the the hundred. Even though I will, I, I I vow that I will go back and watch the rest of of season eight of the hundred, just because I've come along this this far. But it just gets so like ridiculously complex and it gets sometimes a little silly though i did i have to admit for agents of shield i know you probably didn't like it but when they did that groundhog day kind of like episode i i really like that but otherwise you know like it it almost i I just throw my brain out out the window i'm like all right i'll just go along for the ride on this one basically i i i you know, in a nutshell, I also will not really be sad to see Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. go. I've, I've always often described it as kind of like a quote-unquote guilty pleasure. Um, and, uh, you know, like like you said, the characters, I, I still uh, am invested in the characters. But uh, as far as the, the, the show itself, um, I'm, I'm not really going to miss it. All right. Well, let's leave it there and... Uh Talk about some Brave New World, episode 101, titled Pilot, written and created by Grant Morrison, Brian Taylor, David Weiner. Uh, Two of them, Morrison and Taylor, worked on a show called Happy, which I've heard about, but I don't really know anything. Uh, David Weiner uh, wrote two episodes of Fear the Walking Dead, directed by Owen Harris, who directed three episodes of Black Mirror. And he also directed the Twilight Zone episode titled The Comedian. I don't know if you remember that one or not. That was a pretty good one. Like the original so, Twilight Zone? No, no, no. The the, the reboot. Oh, I haven't seen any of those at all. Oh, okay. All right. And dropped on NBC Peacock July 15th, 2020. Of course, it's based on the 1932 dystopian novel written by Aldous Huxley. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about, has there been too much dystopian literature written and produced for television in the interim to make Huxley's work relevant? And, you know, I think there are because I'm not sure how many of these dystopian stories approximate what's really going on in brave new world. Right. Uh, because brave new world, I mean, while it is dystopian, it's not like, you know, in a world gone mad, one hero stand, you know, it's, it's not this, this, uh, wasteland that has been ravaged by war. It's a society that while we tend to say it's, so much different than our society if we really look at it not so much and that's the thing about like especially like fahrenheit 451 brave new world 1984 which were all dystopian novels from the early 20th century that we look at in the now and say wow these novels were very prescient and predictive of of, of what's going on in today's society and so, you know, there is definitely a big aspect of, of that with Huxley's novel. So I, I would say that, that it is still extremely relevant for, for that alone. But I, I also think that the reason a novel like Brave New World is considered to be up there in like the pantheon of the greatest ever written in the English language is not because it predicted what the future was going to be like but because it taps into these basic human elements 
that that's really what drives that that novel and and ultimately will be what will have to drive this television show. Right. And as you mentioned on more than one occasion with Dark, it is that exploration of the human condition that makes a show great and makes a novel great. And all the other stuff is important. There's no question because, you know, you mentioned the concept of the wasteland dystopian future. And certainly we've seen that in any of a number of cases you mentioned the hundred certainly it can be considered dystopian and mad max and all that but it's a different kind of wasteland it's like an intellectual wasteland that we've found ourselves in the midst of and that opening scene welcome to new london you know if we go by that map in that one scene where we see the plane flying from new london to you know the adventure park it does appear as if new london must be in england or thereabouts we don't get a, a clear shot but again it, it's it's not all that important and i guess well, we it has to be in this. england because they say bernard rather than bernard so oh, good point good point <laughs> um and i guess one thing we should get out of the way at this point and, and neither of us has moved beyond episode one so saying what we're going to say here again take it for you know what it's worth but i doubt whether the tv series is going to closely follow the novel because already we see where they're making certain changes and adapting characters and to me that's fine i mean we're going to judge it as a tv show we're not going to judge it on how closely it mirrors the novel right, right. Right, but yeah, but you, you can't talk about it without you know bringing in comparisons to the novel. So I'd like to keep that in oh, play. Of but yeah, but we're, we're certainly not going to judge. Yeah, we are absolutely judging it on its own uh, merits and, and demerits, or, so to speak. So right, and that opening scene, I, I think the music threw me for a momentary loop. That oh my gosh, is this going to be a repeat of one of those horrific movies? that were produced, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Three rules, no privacy, no family, no monogamy. Everyone is happy. And, you know, as we go through this episode discussion and and future discussions of the show, I think we'll talk a lot about that. But that opening shot of a genetics lab, which is known as the hatchery, what appears to be the manipulation of an embryo and some of you eagle eyes noticed that i changed the header photo on the facebook group and again if you've got any experience with the novel at all then you understand that that genetic manipulation is at the forefront of mm-hmm. the brave new world story right right well because you know and again it we see glimpses of this and uh, aspects of this in the dialogue, but they really haven't addressed it quite so much that the whole point of the brave new world is that people are happy with their lot. Like there's different casts and people are bred to be happy with whichever cast they're in. So if you are a working class person, you don't feel like, Oh, I wish I could be, something i wish i could be a lawyer or uh uh you know an actor or a movie star or something like that you know 
you're happy with your job and you're conditioned both genetically and behaviorally to you know, be happy with, with whatever it is you're assigned to do. But of course, a big part of Huxley's novel, and we see it already in, in this TV show, is that despite all that, you're going to have people who experience discontent. And we have at least one, two, three, four people, well, three in The Brave New World, and then at least one in, well, more than one actually in, in Savage Land, who are not content with the way things are and not content with their lot in life. Right. And, you know, you mentioned creating individuals so that they are satisfied and and we see the epsilons who are the workers and it appears as if they're taking the approach that the epsilons essentially have been cloned, right? They all, at least the males all look the same Uh, in in that. You know, I didn't catch that, but yes. And, you know, we, we do have that one Epsilon, C-Jack 60, who, as you said, does seem to be questioning his own existence, at least as much as he's able to, given his genetic abilities. And granted, they're not going to be at the level of an Alpha Plus or a Beta Plus, but clearly they're there right there, there yeah. there's there's something there and one of the things i was a little bit confused and it's i guess not a big deal the viewer appears to see everybody's genetic level you know as if uh there's something in the contact lenses and, and of yes. course everybody's hooked into this mainframe computer that we'll get to in a little bit so it's not clear if everybody sees what somebody else's rating is or if only certain people or if that's just for the viewer's benefit were were you clear about that or so yeah i I definitely noticed that i'm pretty sure that the casts that are that they see that i think everyone sees that all the time And, and so here's what huxley did is huxley had each cast where a different color, uh, like everyone dressed the same um, or wore the same color, I guess. So all the alphas would wear one. I, I can't remember what those colors were. Pretty boring for a costume designer. So I think in, in order that they could have some variance uh, with their characters, they came up with this you know, device where everyone has this contact lens with a fiber optic wire implanted in their eye and that allows them to see each person's cast yeah that was a little unsettling when he removed that contact lens. <laughs> yeah a little um <laughs> you know you you mentioned the different characters who are questioning and, and we basically got two storylines the one where they're questioning it in uh, you know, the new world. And, and then, of course, as you said, in Savage Land. But I really like the fact that they didn't feel the need to edit the episode in such a way that it jumped back and forth between the two storylines. They pretty much gave us Bernard and Lenina's story and then moved us to John's story in Savage Land. And, and it, it does come back briefly. But I, I really appreciated that because the director is telling the audience 
I trust that you'll remember the first 20 minutes of the episode and that I don't have to continually take you there. Right. That might change future episodes. I don't know, but I did appreciate that. I mentioned Lenina, obviously one of the main characters, Lenina Crown works in this genetics lab. She's played by Jessica Brown Findlay, who I know as Lady Sybil from Downton Abbey. And she's called away from her workstation in the lab. And we see right away on her way to meet. At this point, we don't know why she's been called away, but we see her take a pill. And obviously that's a recurring theme in this episode that the society's members take pills to control their emotions and keep a certain level headedness, I guess. Well, yeah. And, and there's this overall pill of of Soma that whenever you feel pretty much kind of anything that uh, you just take a Soma and it, it just kind of takes you away, you know, you know, and we see in in this episode, like when Bernard goes to the scene of the, where the Epsilon has committed suicide, uh, the first thing he does is he pops out Soma for everyone around. You know, like here you go. You know, so it's it's just this kind of controlling thing to because it's important for this society for stability that people don't have desire and don't have emotions and don't have attachments right and 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 that's an interesting situation that uh, we we see when he's basically investigating a death and at to this point we've only seen him in his interaction with lenina because he's called her in to reprimand her for engaging in a monogamous relationship with an alpha plus named henry foster and uh, counterpart fans are going to recognize Bernard, uh, played by Harry Lloyd, who was Peter Quayle in Counterpart. And I love this scene because they play it as if, you know, this is an everyday occurrence and he accuses her of being selfish, uncaring. Did either of you two consider the damage you might inflict? by carrying on a monogamous relationship, which is, of course, the antithesis to what our society right. ex- expects. But, you know, actually, there is a little of a dark tie in here because, remember, there's that theme throughout dark that pain is caused by desire, which leads to suffering, right? And right. by attachments. So, you know, that it's the very same philosophy of the of this brave new world that has, you know, removed desire and attachments from society in order to prevent this, these feelings of pain and and discontentment. Yeah. And, you know, at one level, it's sort of like where we've gone in our, everybody gets a trophy kind of mentality. Sure. So that, that here, as he says, did you ever think that you're preventing others from having sex with Henry Foster, that's pretty selfish of you. And what about people that might want to be with you? That nobody feels bad about anything. 
and you know you mentioned the pills to control feelings and you know again all sorts of feelings whether it's happiness joy depression anger all of those have been seemingly erased we find out she's a beta plus which clearly given the job that she does in the genetics lab and and just listening to her speak and in her interact uh, beta plus is pretty high up on the uh, scale but he shows her that holographic or those holographic recordings of her mm-hmm. sexual encounters as she tries to deny it and he just keeps playing one after another <laughs> which uh was kind of funny but Especially she's like listing well you're in the stairwell and you know everything it's something that i didn't necessarily catch the first time but he sees something in her eyes and, and there's yes. this initial connection that of course we'll we'll see more later she wonders who turned her in and it seems to be intimated that it might have been henry that that turned himself in i guess along with her but yeah he offers he, he a- said something there and i i ran it back like four times and couldn't understand what he was saying that you know when something that henry so i i, yeah, I guess i assume it is that maybe henry is the one who turned himself in yeah right and, and it's also telling that when she first comes in his first action is to offer her a yellow pill because he knows that what he's about to say might be somewhat upsetting she she declines and then uh, near the end she says uh, do you have anything stronger oh yeah. yeah here have an orange <laughs> and of course she doesn't take it until she leaves the office but she does take it and i thought maybe she wouldn't take it Again, I don't want to get into the novel versus the TV show, except where appropriate, because they're trying to create their own work influenced by Brave New World. But I half expected her to maybe put it in her pocket. But no, Mm -hmm. she takes it and returns to her workstation. Uh, Her colleague, Franny, played by Kylie Bunbury, who is in one of your favorite shows, Under the Dome and oh i'm surprised i didn't uh, recognize her <laughs> she teases uh, lenina about her sexual relationship with henry who then diffuses it with catchy phrase ending is better than mending right and that's um there there's all these little because there was a bunch that are actually from the novel that's from the novel uh of soma day keeps the gym jams away uh, everyone belongs to everyone else so this society is you know, based on, is really predicated on superficiality. So they have these little um, cliches that everyone says that are supposed to basically express their, their honestly, their core beliefs. Yeah, which is also interesting because they're, they're simplifying everything and set against the complexity of the scientific advancements that they've made. I think find very interesting and granted i don't think a lot of us would agree with how they've chosen to employ those scientific advances but nonetheless they have but let's get back to that scene that you mentioned when bernard i'm gonna have to start calling it Marx. it's much easier to pronounce than bernard <laughs> um and, and he's on his way to investigate that accident with the epsilon and what confuses me still 
what's his job description? Because at first I thought, all right, he's going to investigate a crime, and clearly crime doesn't occur all that often. But then, as you said, he gets there and he starts dispensing Soma to all the bystanders who are clearly upset by what they've seen. So is he some sort of a counselor? Because I think somebody does refer to him as counselor. They do call him a counselor. You know, he touches the guy's head and seems to, like he feels what that guy felt. Yeah. That's why he's so convinced that the guy killed himself, right? Rather than some kind of quote-unquote accident, as they said. Later, his boss, who I, I maybe is Mustafa Mond, I don't think we haven't gotten that guy's name yet. Like, he does something where he's able to feel what other people feel i guess or something it, i don't know so it, it's it's unclear but i i think i, I wish i'd written down the line i was trying to look through my notes and I, I didn't write it down so now i'm kicking myself but you know th- there is something about how his job is to assess how people are feeling or something like that so i don't know well, and that makes sense, but he's also in, in a situation to reprimand people. Again, you could argue for how they feel and, and how they act on their actions. The uh, C-Jack 60 that he questions is played by Joseph Morgan, who was in Vampire Diaries uh, as Klaus Mickelson. And, you know, there seems to be some sort of a involvement with him or some sort of a connection but we hear him speak and we see the way that Marx treats him as an epsilon and his simple three-word response this worker fell right it tells us something but it doesn't tell us a lot and it's something that clearly has intrigued cjack 60 as well as Marx. So, you know, what's what's going to happen? You know, you mentioned when he touches his forehead and, and he gets that vision or whatever that jolts him and he immediately goes to his little Soma dispenser. But, of course, he's out because he, he gave it to all the bystanders. So lets us know that an Alpha Plus is going to be on the pills uh, as well. And, uh, yeah. you know, as you said a few minutes ago, everybody is at, at – Perhaps they're given different combinations of pills. We don't know that yet. Well, well right. It, it, in, in the, you know, I think it's even more important, and, and certainly this was in, in the novel, which I, I, I'm sorry I keep referring back to, but it's even more important for the alphas because they are, they have less conditioning because they're at the top. So they're the ones who are supposed to make decisions and everything. So their their conditioning is less. And so, you know, it, it's more important for them to be you know quote unquote with the program but there's also more of a possibility of people like bernard who questions the the way things are and the the basic tenets of of this society and you know when he's talking to i can't remember what i don't even know if we got the name of uh john cayman's character but you know he says to her you know what if i told you there's a pain that soma doesn't touch this idea that he has that there's there's something more right and that there's there's this deeper aspect to the human experience than just sex drugs and rock and roll so to speak right and you know her character's name is helm watson and he goes to see her after this experience are are we 
given an explanation why he goes to see her other than that they're old friends and perhaps that's, he, he he just needs somebody to talk to yeah that that's his friend uh who in the novel is, is a dude right and the the job description is also quite a bit different because you know you mentioned hannah hannah john Kamen, who was dutch in killjoys apparently she produces some sort of uh, virtual realities that people then purchase or are provided for free or whatever but as she says i record feelings and turn them into experiences and i guess the one that we see on the screen is called pleasure bomb and i think the one we saw was like pleasure bomb 136 so Mm -hmm. clearly there are a lot out there you know again i find it interesting that he goes to see her because he's upset over what he's seen and then her whole job is to produce these virtual realities that people can yeah again we don't know yet whether they put on a helmet with a visor which is sort of the virtual reality experience in 2020 at this point people that can afford that sort of thing but i mentioned the mainframe and the name of it is indra we don't get a whole lot else other than everybody is apparently supposed to stay connected to Indra. And of course that's so that their behaviors and activities can be monitored. And while this society is very pretty, you know, we haven't talked about the world building yet. Phenomenal job visually. Oh my God. uh, Yeah, absolutely. Setting. Probably the, the 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 most striking thing I thought about this episode was the 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 visual aspects of it. I mean, the story was still very good, acting was very good, and everything. But the really the the thing that made me say "Wow" was you know kind of like in Westworld too that the, you know the, those shots, those visual images of this world. Yeah, and and everything is just so attractive. All of the people are attractive. Their outfits are attractive. Well her friend some of the outfits she was showing her on the way to the party were i I like the cat outfit (laughs) who doesn't like a cat outfit um but but you know that conversation that bernard's having with Marx, you know she even says i'm not sure epsilons even have feelings which again gets into the, the the whole theme of prejudice which is taking place so Clearly, they haven't erased that in whatever level Helm is. I would certainly think she's an alpha. Yeah, but but, but the thing is, in this world, it's like, this is going to sound bad, I know, but it's like in the world of breeding the world, that's like a scientific fact, right? Because they breed and condition people to, like, Epstein's, sh- like, thinking is not a, a thing for them. They're, they are, they're, their fetuses are you know, modified, you know, in vitro. And then as they develop, even before they are, uh, you know, they, they use the word decanted rather than born, you know, as they are, the fetus is developing, it's also conditioned and, and forced to, you know, elitist and classist and everything. It's really a scientific fact in this world. Yeah, th- that's true. And you mentioned earlier the, the concept of conditioning and, the you know relative 
dearth of it, uh, the higher up you go. I mean, that's part of it as well. But as you said, they're conditioned to see that as a statement of scientific fact rather than you know, something else. Eventually, Helm realizes that her friend has had a bad afternoon, as she says, makes him a reservation at the Pleasure Palace so he can get laid later that evening. If you're not happy, you're nothing at all. And you know, we then go to that next scene with Lenina and Franny, who are also going to the Pleasure Palace. And uh, you know, certainly we can see that they're going to get connected there, that their paths are going to cross. And the Pleasure Palace had this Caligula-like feel for me. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Caligula. I have not. It's pretty intense, and and it's controversial on a lot of levels, and I don't want to get into the discussion there. But it is one of those films that I think any serious film student should probably see at some point. Now, some people might say, I'm crazy. But while they're there, they run into Henry and his friend, and there's that uncomfortable moment because, of course, not only has Lenina been reprimanded, she kind of can put two and two together that Henry may have been the one that turned us in and got me in right. trouble. And, and, yeah, and then he's kind of moved on then too. Right. And he moves on to her friend, Franny and, and Lenina goes with his friend. And uh, of course we see this ultra suggestive dancing that continues to ratchet up until everybody's naked, having sex on the floor, Again, reminds me of the parties I used to go to in college. Oh, yeah. God, I, w- I wish. Um, yeah. But before we get to that point, Bernard and Lenina can't take their eyes off each other. And right. he, he even shoes away that one couple that's trying to get it on with him. So it's clearly more than him having reprimanded her that evening. It's not like he's he's looking at her oh, good, you took my advice and you paired off with somebody else. It's, it's clearly not that. Right. Well, you know, it harkens back to what you had said before about how he looks at the hologram of her having sex with uh, Henry Foster. And, um, you know, the, the look at her eyes is something that, that, that sticks with Bernard. And, and um, again, that, 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 that's something more that he is convinced exists in the human condition, right? That there's something beyond what we're taught and something beyond this superficial existence that we are provided with. This, this realization is, is sets him apart from everyone else. Well, yeah, and, and I think it's easy to say that, well, you know, he's attracted to her beauty because clearly she is beautiful. The... Uh, I love the uniforms when they're working in the genetics lab, but everybody's beautiful. Everybody's attractive. Everybody's wearing, I think, what most of us would consider sexy attire, even at the workplace, maybe not as sexy as they would wear going to the Pleasure Palace, but but still um, there's something there. You know, we'll get a little bit more insight into it later, but I want to go back to see Jack 60 for a second. And, you know, what we were talking about with the Epsilons and whether they think, whether they have feelings, 
you know, is CJAC 60 and by extension, CJAC 57, are they anomalies? Because 60 leaves his quarters, he goes into 57s. And I assume this, these are the quarters of the Epsilon that killed himself or, 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 or died. And right. the reason I say killed himself, he, fi- he finds that piece of jagged metal mm-hmm. hidden in the bed. And why do you hide a jagged piece of metal? And it clearly had that kind of box cutter blade look to it. Did 57 find that, hide it with the intention of killing himself? Or am I reading way too much? No, no, no. I think that's exactly what we're supposed to think. Because, I mean... Um, we don't get, and that's what I, I, I really like how they did that scene because they leave it up to us to judge what C. Jack 60 sees as the significance of that piece of metal. And certainly I, I came to the same conclusion as you, this was something that C. Jack 57 had squirreled away with the intention of potentially using it to kill himself. And of course that's not how he did it, but but I think that that's confirms what Bernard believes and what we kind of thought is that CJAC 57 committed suicide and it wasn't an accident. Right. Now, I guess we also have to consider the possibility that CJAC 57 was murdered and that perhaps he squirreled that away as a defensive tool. I don't sure. think that's the case, but I mean, that is a possibility. Right. And, well, that's the great part about that. As I said, with them just leaving it as it is and leaving for us to try and gather meaning from it, they leave open the, the multiple possibilities of, of the significance of that piece of metal. Right. Now, uh, Bernard returns home, removes his contact lens, which takes him offline. And we talked a little bit about that before. And the hologram of the director and, you know, whether it does turn out to be Mustafa Mond, I didn't look on IMDb because I was afraid to be spoiled somehow, some right. way. <laughs> but uh, the director's played by Ed Stoppard, who I know from Nightfall. He he plays King, gosh, I think it's King Philip in that. And he was uh, just a, a great character. But he basically appears to ask, what the hell are you doing, dude? Privacy yeah. is a vice the social body simply can't afford. Again, it drives home that community aspect that, you know, again, from the opening scene, there is no privacy. Right. And, 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 and you, you have nothing to hide. Like you, right. The, it, um, whereas we cherish our privacy and, and say that, you know, but, but in that also you're able to, you know, we are able to create our own thoughts and ideas. And that is exactly what this world can't have. Right. Right. Uh, the director orders him to take a vacation to savage lands. But the other thing that strikes me, he's told that he's not quite an alpha. And then Bernard later tells Lenina that he's not who I'm supposed to be. So I'm not sure what to make of that yet. Not quite an alpha. Well, what does that mean? Clearly, you're an alpha plus. 
that's right. what you tell everybody. That's what you know seems to uh, be signaled when when somebody is looking at you. But what does that mean? Well, so I, I know in in the novel there was you know Bernard is smaller than the other alphas. He's an outcast, right? Even though. And that's actually that, that word outcast because they have casts, but he is for some reason, even though he is an alpha and of that cast, he is not exactly one of them. And so there was the, the novel, there's this persistent rumor that follows him that his like, you know, beaker that he was created in was mislabeled or something or, or something happened along one of his development steps. Someone screwed up. And he came out smaller and and weaker than he than an alpha traditionally would be. Right. While Harry Lloyd is not a, a big guy, he's not. I, I think the way um, his character is depicted in the novel. But right. again, if you are familiar with the novel, you know that Lenina and Bernard need to connect some point and she shows up unannounced at his place not sure how she knows where he lives but i guess it's common knowledge right there are no secrets there is no privacy and she's upset because she did what he told her to do and his response act your level (laughs) i love it because it just goes way past her because she's so pissed calls him out because she saw what he did which was refuse sex which is apparently frowned upon in in their world and he then admits to her that he's in trouble for being private so this whole scene where the two of them are just opening up to each other you know of course on the one hand we're wondering whether there's this sexual chemistry and energy between the two are they going to rip their clothes off and it's it's deeper than that and of of course that's so unusual and ironic for this society but there it is that's that's what's going on there and then she suggests that they project themselves having sex to fool indra and i think he says something like uh, he was surprised that this could be done and she said i never did it before but i always wanted to see if it would work (laughs) but then he asks her if she can see inside me, and, and if so, what do you see? And, and, of course, again, it goes back to what you said at the beginning of the discussion. These characters questioning not only their environments and surroundings, but questioning themselves and, and mm-hmm. that whole idea of the human condition and, and deciding the most fundamental question, who am I? And right, it's not a question they've really had a chance to ask before so why now don't know Um, well i think part of it is that they are they they found each other and so they they found another person in this world who thinks as they do who is able to see that there's more to this who is not content with the world as as it's presented to them and before they just thought that they were the only ones and so they felt lonely and i guess lenina tried to you know ameliorate that by having monogamous relationships um we're not sure about how bernard dealt with i guess bernard 
uh, dealt with it by you know, retreating into himself and by being private. Yeah, because he tries to justify the fact that engaging in sex is not a huge deal for him. He's also he, he's kind of making an excuse for not being more sexual, and it kind of falls flat. But we understand where he's coming from with that. So um, now the other story takes place within the Savage Lands Adventure Park, and and there's clearly a plot to tear down the new world, that there are Mm -hmm. these two worlds. And in the novel, Savage Lands is in New Mexico. Here, it's kind of difficult to judge whether, you know, do they intend it to be like Nevada and Las Vegas, which is, you know, sort of the epicenter for... Right. decadent behavior sure. uh, but in the novel it's new mexico regardless it doesn't really matter at least at this point but the first thing that strikes me when i see savage lands is oh, this is like a poor man's west world the whole right. idea of highlighting what life used to be like before soma and genetic engineering is kind of encapsulated in their slogan all the misery of the old world with all the comforts of home. And I love it. You know, it's, it's a basic adventure park. Again, as we know from Westworld and obviously this was written in 1932. So, you know, they don't necessarily present it as an adventure park in the novel. Right. Well, it is a, a vacation spot, right? Yes. Um, but, but yeah, it, the novel certainly doesn't present it as like right as an adventure park with actors putting on you know Disneyland like shows like the you know like Frontierland right is where they have the shootout and yeah. everything. So um, yeah, yeah, and and that and that actually ties in. Fred's going to mention how uh, you know John is obsessed with Shakespeare. The only in in the novel is because. The only book that he has ever read is the complete works of William Shakespeare. So his his whole world view is is based on on Shakespeare. And some people might say that's not necessarily a great thing. Some might say it is. I, I'm not here to argue that. But uh, you know, Fred mentions how there is a a, a um, significant lack of Shakespeare uh, in this episode, and John does not quote Shakespeare at all. He does work in theater, though, right? Sure. So, right, and of course, I would argue that if the complete works of Shakespeare encompass comedies, tragedies, histories, I mean, it really does look at all aspects of the human condition. So, from that standpoint, but we won't go down that road right now. Um, you want to talk a little bit about your boy, uh, since you mentioned Disney, Han Solo? Yeah, Alden Ehrenreich. He's uh I really like this guy as an actor. I, I never really knew about him before. He played uh, young Han Solo in Solo. I thought he did an outstanding job. Uh, I know that is not a popular movie, but I like Solo. I thought I, I, I thought it was an enjoyable movie. I thought he did a great job, uh, which is a very difficult job of portraying a young version of of such a you know well loved and popular uh, character. He was also, I saw him recently, well, I mean, this isn't recent, but he was in a Coen Brothers movie called uh, Hail Caesar. 
that he did a great job in that as well. But uh, but yeah, I, I, his you know this is this John the Savage or John in just in this case is very different already from John that from the novel. John in the novel is very naive. Um, his like I said, his whole world has been basically his whole world view. This his view of this you know brave new world that exists outside of his savage land. You know, we we do see some aspects. He goes into the whatever that that place is on the on the bus. I guess it's kind of like a shop store, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we see he has an affinity for for music and things like that. But he's he's really not this kind of blinded romantic that uh, John the Savage is in the novel, which I, I, I like. I, I think, and obviously, it'll provide a, a, a chance for for his character to. Ex- achieve a greater sense of depth right well well the guy that's running the shop on the bus does tell him that the most dangerous thing a man can be is a romantic and you know before he gets to that scene uh you know we see him at the adventure park being reamed out by one of the actors because one of the prop guns apparently didn't uh, perform as it was supposed to and he's telling him he was embarrassed in front of the audience but we are introduced to madison who i don't want to say it's john's girlfriend because she claims that she's got a boyfriend but apparently she has sex with him quite a bit and you know this whole idea of a semi-monogamous relationship in savage lands set against what we just experienced you know in the new world again is really fascinating and the music that john seems to be drawn to again the shop owner makes some kind of comment because obviously they they know each other and have a history is that apparently he he likes a lot of these the girl left me kind of <laughs> songs and and the other thing is apparently they're not making music these days so uh, again right. i don't know exactly what that means now when he goes home and his home is really shabby sure dude i did not recognize that his mom is played by demi moore i am ashamed to say that i also did not catch that and i didn't even catch it the second time i watched it i just happened to i was looking to see how to spell something and i i ran across that but She's obviously got issues. She typically doesn't leave the house. Uh, you know, we see her in that sexy nightgown sitting in the window. He's clearly embarrassed by her. Not sure what the deal is with the power cutting in, cutting out. I, I guess that must speak to the fact that they are in the savage lands and that they are at the mercy, we assume, of what is taking place on the other side of the blue wall. Sure. Which... I don't recall if we hear about that in the novel or not. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it's a nice touch, and I, I certainly don't see a connection to the wall that we're constantly, you know, bombarded with in the United yeah. States. And I don't even want to go there. I, I just right. think that makes well, perfect. I, it's something we've seen in dystopian literature many times: a, a wall separating. 
Sure, you know, but you know, salt and dark. Yeah, right, exactly. And I, I don't necessarily think that they didn't do that. I mean, obviously, they purposely made the wall. Did they make the wall because of that? As a political statement, uh, it's probably I fairly likely that they did. But yeah, it's. I don't think it's important though. You know, uh, except that it is a an actual barrier that the people from the world state can enter and you know can go through it without a problem but the you know as the lady tells john that if they even touch it they'll be incinerated yeah and and wonders how is it that they are able to walk through it now madison is played by laura peak who i know from the english game which is a movie i mentioned in uh what i'm watching and, and as a recommendation it's a film about the early days of soccer and and yeah, based on true story, but uh, she's great in this because at first we see her as an actor when he's being reamed out by that other guy, and and clearly her character is somebody that's very pregnant and has to get married, yeah. which is and clearly then shot, I think. Uh, right, <laughs> which is clearly not something that is taking place in the world state and, and among the new worlders. So, you know, we see her in that regard. And, and, and of course, as we said that they're having some sort of a sexual relationship, but then he gets kidnapped and we learn that there is this group of people that are plotting to essentially tear down the world state. And, Again, the the monumental task that this group faces, you know, maybe we don't want to go there, but, you know, maybe this is one cell out of many. I mean, we don't know at this point, but we see Madison as a member of this group, again, in contrast to that earlier character that we see, that statement that we're going to tear it all down, take back what's ours, because... The world state, again, whether you want to call this colonialism or whatever, but they just keep encroaching on the land that, you know, is designated savage (laughs) lands. And I I guess as the population increases, they need more land. So they just keep pushing uh, further west. That statement that she's offering him his destiny for you to figure out, are you a free human being or a washer of cars? Right. And, you know, again, he's like their version of the Epsilon to a certain extent, right? I right. Mean, right. Or, he well, he, he washes he, yeah, cars. Exa- exactly. He, he is a, uh, a worker, but one who has not been conditioned to be acceptant of, of his uh, status, his state. And so he... You know, like Lenina, like Bernard, like C. Jack sixty, has is experiences discontent and is not. And, you know, from a different his world is different than their other world, but his reaction to it is still the same. That there's got to be more to to there's got to be more than this. This can't be all there is, and and he doesn't necessarily address that directly but i like how they do kind of set him up as having this belief that he is discontented that he wants more he thinks there's more to life but they don't have him say it 
in dialogue. You know, we we get it by seeing what he does and what he says to other characters uh, indirectly, which I love that. Right, right. And he's at this point reluctant to join the group of insurgents. And, and then she essentially threatens him, well, I'd hate for anything to happen to you or your mother, and hands him that single bullet. So, you know, as we see that final scene where he's up on the roof at night drinking beer, rockets are launching in the distance. I assume that's travel related. Yeah. He's listening to music on his 90s headphones and he's holding that bullet that Madison gave him. So I'm wondering, is the idea that he's supposed to insert a real bullet in one of the prop guns and somebody is going to die that's not supposed to die? Um, uh, that I mean, that's how I interpret it. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Because at first, I'm like, what's what's the bullet? Is that like some kind of symbol? Is this something that uh, either he's with them or he uses this against himself? And then, I, uh, then I thought about what you just said. That oh, well, maybe this you know act of rebellion is he he loads in the gun, and and then when you think about it, with with the, the the actor giving them crap about how the gun didn't work and everything. Say, so, oh, well, I think he's probably going to load this in there instead of a blank and someone's going to actually get shot. Hopefully not. All right. Anything else, anything else you want to bring up before we get to the feedback? So the, the one, and I, I know I, I apologize of referring back to the novel a lot. I'll try to dial it back a little bit, but the one character who is vastly different in the book than in the novel is Lenina, right? In, the, in the novel, she's described as pneumatic, which is kind of like a weird word. It means filled with air and gas, right? So it's a weird word to describe a person. When she refers to herself as pneumatic, you know, it seems like she is referring to herself as a sexual being, that she is um, is very curvy and, and everything. Um, and obviously the actress who plays her, uh, I'll get the names down, I promise. Um, it could not physically be described as quote unquote pneumatic, but also, and if you, that, you know, kind of part of the um, symbolism of that word is that inside she's filled of, of air because the character in the novel is she does not question anything except for, you know, she is vapid and she is just a completely unquestioning member of the world state and and has you know no longing for anything outside except for you know in the novel she is also kind of reprimanded for being in a long-term relationship or um, a quote-unquote kind of semi-monogamous relationship with henry foster but she doesn't really question the things around her now this lenina in this in the show uh, much more complex of a character, like I said, is one of the people who, like Bernard, is uh, questions their existence and, and what is around them. And so, completely unlike uh, the Lenina from, from from the novel, and, and of course Linda, also being very different. Because when I read uh, Brave New World when I was in eleventh grade, I don't think I pictured Demi Moore as as Linda and. Uh, the uh, the character of Linda in the novel is you know she has gotten older she's uh, she's not an attractive person it's not described as attractive person and um, yeah she did not age well right right um, but on the other hand that Demi Moore you know maybe through the use of modern science has has aged very well so 
Exactly. <laughs> but but again, that is something that is important to the novel and, and may end up being important to the TV series as well, that, that whole idea of aging as something that is a natural process that apparently has been manipulated as well in the new world. So again, we don't know if that's going to be part of the story or not, but uh, yeah. All right. Anything else? Well, one last thing is that the last song in it, fake plastic trees by Radiohead. I love that song. And when it came on, I was like, that is perfect. Right, because it is a song about well, you know, fake plastic trees. It's this about this, this uh, superficial aspects of of society. So, all right, well, let's uh, go to the feedback and hear what Fred has for us this week. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewards. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the 2020 series Brave New World, season one, episode one. First off, I'm not a reader of the 1932 novel by Aldous Huxley. Although it's high on the list of praised literature, praised books. But what I did is watch the 1980 three-hour television film by the same name and the 1998 television film also by the same name with Leonard Nimoy in it, who we of course know as Spock. Both TV movies are quite mediocre, especially the 1998 one. The 1981 is, well, reflecting the period it comes from. Although, if you see the costumes they're wearing, these jumpsuits, etc., it more gives a Star Trek original series feeling. I can't say too much about these two television movies because probably this series will follow the storyline of these two movies. So I don't want to spoiler the story. But it is a little bit like in Snowpiercer. In Snowpiercer we had the 2013 film and we had the series and we really wondered how they would transfer just a film to a whole series and Snowpiercer even gets the second season. I wonder if that will happen with this series. In Snowpiercer they took quite another path than in the movie. Although in episode 9 or something like that suddenly the story of the movie comes back. I really wonder how they will stretch the content of these Brave New World TV movies into this series. In the 1980 movie, the lead role of Bernard Marx is played by Bud Court. And he is nine years earlier, quite at a young age, also the lead in Harold and Maud, a classic movie. According to the summary I read about the Aldous Huxley book, the role of Bernard Marx is a role for somebody who is a little, little tiny, a little slim, a little not so physical as most of these beautiful and strong young people. In that sense, Bert Court in the 1980 film and Harry Lloyd here in this series fit that description. Peter Gallagher in the 1998 movie didn't fit so well. He was quite a physical guy himself. Most of the names in the two movies and this series are the same. Just that John the Savage is called John the Savage in this series, but also in the 1980 film. Whereas in the 1998 film he is called John Cooper. Of course he got this name here Savage as being between air quotes the savage 
I'm going to talk about myself as being a savage because we didn't see it in this first episode of this series, but in the two movies, this John is constantly quoting Shakespeare. And I'm such a literature savage in this sense, English literature, that I cannot cope that well with Shakespeare. Because of the old English, it just doesn't, well, land with me. You being two English teachers, of course, like it a lot. And probably liked the quotes in the book. I assume that they are there. And they were also in the two films. So I'm very curious what will happen in this series. If it also will be full of Shakespeare quotes. So far, I'm happy that in this pilot, they were not there. Talking about the actors, in this series, the role of Linda, so John's mother, is played by Demi Moore. I almost didn't recognize her in the beginning with the blonde hair. And of course, she is a little older now. But after she started talking, I immediately recognized her voice. It's a little sad that she is playing here the alcohol-addicted mother. Whereas she, Demi Moore, the actress, had some problems with substance abuse uh, during her life. Although I thought she overcame it, but nevertheless, a bit weird that exactly she gets this role. The actress Jessica Brown Vindley, who is playing Lenina, Lenina Crown, gives me quite a the younger Angelina Jolie feeling. Would you agree on that? I have a compliment and a nitpick about the orgy scene. First a compliment. I think the filmmakers did a very nice job in not showing any genitalia, although there were a lot of naked people there interacting with each other. Really well done. It gave me a little bit of feeling of Sense8. Also in Sense8 they did a marvelous job with that. Although that were just eight people and this were many more. And the nitpick is that everybody is naked there, just not the lead actress. I thought that was a little silly. Pretty weak, actually. Knowing that Bernard is going on a holiday in the land of the savages, you know they will get in contact. So that's not a spoiler. What I liked about this series is that we see more of John's life before he gets in contact with the so-called civilized people. In the two other movies, that is much less. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands, and I'm curious if you will go on with this series, or will choose something else. For instance, Warrior Nun. P.S. I posted quite some links to Dark Analysis YouTube videos on the Facebook page. All right, well, I, I think we already offered our condolences to Fred about the time he spent watching those horrid uh, TV movies. But, you know, this show is inspired by Brave New World. I really doubt that they're going to pay any attention whatsoever to the TV movies. Yeah. And I would, you know, look, if we know they're terrible, the creators of <laughs> this current series know they're terrible. So I, I, I highly doubt that any of that's going to be no they, part of this yeah that's what i say like it's uh it, you'd be probably better served to go the novel's not long uh you'd be better served to go read the novel than to to go because they they're definitely not going to pull any inspiration at all from from those uh the tv movies yeah i'd be shocked and and you know fred admits he's a literature savage 
especially when it comes to Shakespeare. You know, I, I don't know whether they're going to go down that route and, and include that as part of John's character. Right, especially since they haven't one, already, right? Like, if he, yeah. if he was going to be quoting Shakespeare all the time, you think they would have gone there already, you know? Right, so will they substitute something else right. for Shakespeare? Uh, you know, it remains to be seen. We'll... we'll Hopefully find out. Again, we have not seen beyond the pilot. Now, he brings up Jessica Brown Findlay, the actress that plays Lenina. Dude, I think she's much prettier than Angelina Jolie. And not to take anything away from Angelina Jolie, but... Uh, Who is also very pretty uh, as well. If I was forced to choose, and it has nothing to do with it, Angelina's older because she's right. still very attractive. But I do want to address Fred's nitpick because I agree with Fred on this. And on the one hand, this might seem somewhat lecherous on my part, (laughs) but he he brings up the orgy scene and the fact that everybody's naked. All the actors are naked except Lenina. Right. And I guess I'm of the thought that if you're going to present a scene like that, it, it seems kind of out of place not to have that character just like everybody else. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that. I, I agree with you, Fred. Um, I, so I, I, I do, I'm going to qualify this because of course you see that you're like, ah, okay. So the actress, you know, didn't agree to do nudity. So, so they worked it. So she didn't. Okay. That we understand. And I understand why. Um, and, and, actress would not want to um someone who is has been in major productions who would not to film naked that that's fine no problem with that i also tend to think but if if you look at it also at a symbolic level there there is this element where she is different than everyone else she is covering something up right she's keeping some aspect of of herself private. So I guess kind of symbolically it it kind of works. Okay. And, and I didn't see it from that standpoint, but it does make sense. And, and I really like it. And coupled with Bernard's reluctance to allow that girl to take his shirt off and then, you know, wherever it would have gone from there and, and that he leaves to, go and be private at home. Yeah, I, I like that. That that works. Um, hopefully, well, all the episodes have already been dropped. So Yeah. Well, you know, but the, my problem with that is, you know, some people, we go our whole life and never get a chance to score a three-way. He has it thrown in his lap like this, and he just walks away. That's tragic. All right. Anything else about Fred's feedback you want to mention? <laughs> yeah. One thing, I just got to call Fred out on something that he said, which I hear a lot, which is kind of a nitpick with me, I guess. A lot of people refer to Shakespeare having written in Old English. It is not Old English. Shakespeare writes in very modern English. Old English is back what the Anglo-Saxons spoke way back in the day and would not even sound – it doesn't sound remotely like English at all. It sounds more like German or Scandinavian language. So technically, uh, Shakespeare does write in modern English. Of course, his dialect is not a modern dialect and is – word order and structure and vocabulary also uh, from an, an an earlier time, but it's modern English. Yeah. It's not Chaucer. 
Correct. Well, yeah, Chaucer's not old English either. Well, it's closer. Middle English. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Um, well, just the one thing, like he called, he talked about Snowpiercer. That was a, a show that I would have said as my pick of the week over the last month uh, because it ended while we were talking about Dark. Uh, if you haven't seen Snowpiercer, I cannot recommend that show more highly. That is an outstanding show. The ending was spectacular. It was it was great. So uh, hats off to Fred for bringing that up. Okay. Well, what do you want to assign for a grade here? I'm thinking I'm thinking B plus. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know why. I just I, I after it, again we're we're we're, we're post breakup period here, and you know no one will ever. At this point, no, 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 no one I, I, I date could match up to to the ex that we just broke up with. So I'm going to go a minus, and and the reason I'm, I'm doing that is I feel like this episode really had everything a pilot should do, which is set up the world in which we're going to find ourselves. It introduced a number of conflicts quickly, but not so quickly that we lose the, the you know the impact moving forward of these scenes great characters great acting so i'm going to go a minus but i'm certainly with you on the uh the b plus so as long as you can live with yourself yeah well i i, I can i'll still be able to sleep at night but you, you do raise a good point i don't want the b plus to, to anyway denigrate this episode it was really really good they uh, and and what you said is actually a, a, an excellent point. When you talk about what a pilot wants to do, they do. You know, especially with creating this world um, and, and a very complex world as well, because they also create two different worlds, right? Yeah. You know, I'm going to change the name minus. You 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 convinced me to think that. But also, what I like, and actually, this kind of like actually also convinced me. I like when they just call the pilot pilot when season one episode one is just called pilot i love that it's so unpretentious like you've got this big budget you know production here you have alden ehrenreich and demi moore and all these famous people big name stars in this show and you still call your pilot pilot Rather than giving a name, I love yeah. that. I mean, the only thing that could be better is Pilot Part One and Pilot Part Two. <laughs> you know what show that is, right? Right. I don't. I know. I should. Well, I'll just say it took place on an island and leave it at that. Ah, I do. I do. You're gonna. Ah, I do. You're gonna bring that. All right. Well, let's get out of. You weaseled it in again. Let's get out of here before I do anything <laughs> else wrong, and that will do it for this episode <laughs> of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Dark. If you've got any final thoughts about that, Brave New World, of course. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you want to shoot us an email, it's sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to discuss episode two of the NBC Peacock dystopian classic Brave New World titled Want and Consequence. But until then... You know, Dave, I, I really feel sorry for the people that haven't seen dark yet because just these people this they love nothing and they believe in nothing <laughs>